There are no secrets to success, just things you haven't learned yet. And once you learn them, it's up to you to apply them. I'm Jamal, AKA Boss Eagle, billboard charting hip hop artist and music business coach. Join me as we talk digital marketing, social media, technology, and more, and share interviews with industry professionals to help you unlock the secrets and take control of your music career. Because we are the new music business, and this is the Indie Musician Secrets Podcast. What's up, what's up, what's up, everyone, and welcome to the Indie Musician Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Jamal, aka Boss Eagle, and I am so excited um, for this episode today. We have another very special guest, uh, Evan Oxhorn, who's going to be sharing um, some of what he does uh, in, in terms of uh, stock music, and he's going to educate you and hopefully help you find another way, another avenue for you to be able to start taking control of your music career and, and getting paid to, to create, which is what we all uh, want to do here. So Evan, thank you so much for being on the show today, man. Thank you so much, Jamal. I'm really excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about you, man. Where, where are you from? So I am from San Diego, um, grew up there and then moved out to DC uh, for college, uh, way too long ago at this point, <laughs> um, about 20 years ago. And I've, I've been here ever since um, and have been playing music for uh, a good most of that time, I guess. So I love San Diego. Yeah, has a very special place uh, in my heart. My, my wife and I actually, we, that's where we did our honeymoon. We did half oh. on Carlsbad and then half on Coronado that's Island. That's exactly where I'm from. Carls, uh, Carlsbad? Yeah, yeah, Encinitas and Carlsbad. So. Oh my word, I love Carlsbad. Yeah. It, okay. Okay. Sorry. When I go to visit my parents. It feels like a vacation. Right. Exactly. What was life like growing up in SoCal, man? Well, as we've hinted, it's pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was really lucky. Um, sort of. I mean, I started playing music probably in elementary school. Okay. Um, like started with piano, and like I first got into the idea of composing probably in like second or third grade, some friend of mine, like, I have no idea how, but had like the first MIDI type, like on like, you know, this is probably like 1992, in second grade or something. Yeah, it was like, I, I can't even tell you what the software was, you know, it was like, maybe there were like one of those 16 color Macs, you know, it, it was, I mean, it was like Oregon Trail level practically, but nice. we were like, we'd like sequence songs and stuff. And we wrote our first song, like probably second, third grade called Gerbils Like to Fly. Um, awesome. It's, it was Classic. a banger. Num number one on the char charts, case, yeah. case of case of case of top 40. Right there. <laughs> nice. uh, but from there, it sort of just like captured my idea that like, I, I like I did take, you know, like piano lessons and that was all about classical music and that was fine, but it did. I think I, I did enjoy it at the time, but like I would spend more time just messing around when I was supposed to be practicing as opposed to like learning the songs I was supposed to be learning. Then in like middle school, uh, high school, I started playing bass and guitar. Okay. And um, I was really lucky to go to sort of, it wasn't a magnet school or anything, but it was like essentially uh, San Diego Academy shout out. Um, like they opened a couple, they like opened a brand new high school in my district. So what they did with the old high school is basically they said, this is like, you have to effectively choose to go here. You're not going there by default. So everybody that went there was kind of like weird and edgy and cool. Like there was no football team, which is, I mean, I love football, but you know, like it made yeah. for a very different type of artsy, yeah. uh, 
high school, like we were like number one surf team in the country. uh, And we just had like, I mean, I knew so many people that were in bands and like have several of which have also gone on to be successful musicians. And so sort of just this culture of everybody kind of trying to be a better musician or not a better musician, but just like be like pursue their passion while other people were also doing really inspiring things. Pretty much freshman year, like I made my first like high school friend because we were like both into music and we started a band and uh, kept that going for like four or five years. And what was that kind of experience like? And and talk about when you first started um, playing with other people in a band. Um, this was like right when the Smashing Pumpkins and like Weasel, you know, this is mid nineties. So yeah. everybody is like wants to be a guitar hero. Um, and like, it's right before emo and stuff like that. So, um, like the first band was called domestic sheep, really, really deep stuff. (laughs) I have no idea quite why that didn't end up getting off the ground. It just sort of like, sometimes you're in, I've been in many bands over the years and like, sometimes they just sort of like spin in a circle and you're like trying to get your songs ready. And then like, you never quite get there. Then like the drummer quits and then you have to start all over again. And it just doesn't get that momentum. Yeah, it's like Brian Adams, Summer of 69. Jimmy quit, <laughs> Jody got married, you know? <laughs> Should have known we'd never get far. <laughs> That's awesome. So now how many people were, were in Domestic Sheep? There were there were two of us officially, and then there was like a rotating cast. Okay. Like, it seemed like every time some other friend would come by, uh, which I think was a big problem with it. I sure. think it was trying to be too inclusive, maybe. Yeah. Um, And then like, probably a few months after that, my friend Danny and I started uh jamming and like would just start like we were very interested in writing songs both you know like together okay. i mean like you know like let's sit down like that was our cool idea of like a friday night as freshman in high school was like you know writing music which yeah um you know what i mean there weren't a lot of parties that we were getting invited to as freshmen anyways but <laughs> <laughs> you know it wasn't necessarily uh the coolest but it was like it was the sort of thing that like we, we got, I mean, I think for the time, I think we were making really good music. Um, And like from there we got a drummer um, and, you know, played pretty, I mean, we were too young to really be in a lot of clubs, but played, you know, around town at some of the youth places, um, battle of the band type things that some of the local churches, they would have open events um, we did play at one dive bar down by the airport and because okay. we didn't know anyone over 21, like literally our parents were the only people. The <laughs> yeah, they're rocking the t-shirts. Yeah, they're rocking the yep. t-shirts. The With sheet. a couple of bar flies. Yes. Um, did you release anything? Did you press anything? Did you do the handout out CDs? Or... We did end up going into okay. a recording studio and okay. doing like three songs, uh, like in like one of those, like whiz bang, like eight hours, like, yeah record mix quote unquote master um and then yeah we would sell that at gigs or and you know we'd try and convince relatives to buy it and things like that (laughs) um this is a little like pre like it wasn't that easy to get like shirts made in small batches like i mean everything we were doing we're like burning off of like one of our friend's parents like computers like it was way harder to do to monetize i think that aspect did you continue that through high school and then kind of what what happened what yeah. where'd you transition to after after you graduated from this awesome high school um we basically did that all of high school the drummer uh 
was a little older, so he left first. We got another drummer. Okay. Uh, great guy, still active in the San Diego scene these days. Nice. Um, but you know, we we all went off to college on different corners of the country, and from there, um, for most of college, I was in a cover band, uh, just like classic rock and you know bar thing things that are just fun in bars and th- sure. that sort of situation. Um, and I mean, it was a lot of fun because like I hadn't done I hadn't done a cover band. Okay. up until that point and there's something fun in everybody knowing every song yeah. that you play exactly and singing along um yeah and also just the people we're playing to had were drinking which i also wasn't <laughs> used to so you know they just had a lot more energy to bring to the shows and so that i definitely got more into the like the joy of performing where i was coming For more sure. from a recording uh sure. writing perspective so you're totally. doing cover bands and and this is kind of now kind of getting close to the 2000s is that yeah, right yeah this is this is 2001 2002 2003 okay. right about then is um when i first like probably after some summer job like i saved up some of my money and got reason uh like which is a piece of recording software a daw a friend of mine from high school at the time he hooked me up with like a, a, some other daws and other like plugins and stuff so like in college i was starting to experiment more with like the idea of creating music digitally, you know, uh, kind of coming full circle to where I first started, where you're using MIDI and a computer to sort of um, compose. But like, I mean, I was pretty distracted with other stuff in college. So like it was, it was more just like fiddling and learning the, like the basics of everything. Now, are you, are you producing more music? Are you creating more music for yourself, for other people, for your band? What are you making music for? What I'm doing at that point is being scared and just making like I'm doing air quotes right now, making demos Mm -hmm. like when I really wish I could have been finishing and releasing music. Yeah. Like I didn't quite know enough to know how to do everything. Mm -hmm. Like I knew enough to know what my songs could sound like. And I also knew that my songs weren't sounding quite like that. And so I never at that in that period, probably that, you know, most of the 2000s, I would say, like I was experimenting. I was making a lot of music, but a lot of it was either half finished or like as finished as I could make it. Uh But that wasn't finished enough Mm -hmm. for me to feel comfortable releasing it. So you so you're sitting on all this, all this music. okay? just a hard drive of half finished tracks. Yeah. What ends up happening to that? Like, did you did you end up coming back to any of it or did you just trash it? Well, uh, my computer trashed a good chunk of it because that wasn't backed up in the cloud uh, or on a hard. There wasn't even a cloud back then, but like on an external drive or anything. So that was definitely like probably a good period of my music. Like not that I would ever I know that I'd go back and like redo it. But like, okay, I might have some MP3s of it somewhere, like in emails that I sent to friends being like, hey, check out this demo. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> um, by and large, a lot of that's lost. A lot of it, um, though, did like somehow manage to make it onto other computers. And um, over time, I just got frustrated by having these half finished songs, yeah. um, you know, that weren't being hearing the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I was sort of in a position where like now is pretty much like starting a career like pretty solidly nine to five and like not like sure that I would have the time to like become a quote unquote like artist or like promote my music or do all those things that 
Yeah. Like you need to do if you want people to actually hear your music. And so I was kind of like thinking about maybe I just kind of, I don't want to say give up on music, but like, just be like, you know what? Like I'll just keep puttering around like on my computer if I've got a little bit of time, but um, like, yeah, this was fun. Like (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Which, which is probably what a lot of people uh, go through, right. You kind of reach that point and where you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta make a decision Mm -hmm. here. And unfortunately a lot of times the dream is what gets, you know, put aside, you know, for the, for the quote, unquote, (laughs) for the quote unquote, you know, realistic approach, um, which I I have a different philosophy on, on realistic uh, myself, which the way the world looks at it is, is, and people were kind of on the outside, they say, we have to be realistic. Like that's not going to work or how so many, only so many people make it. Whereas I look at it and I say, just be realistic about what it's going to take for you to get there. That's the realistic you need to have the hard work you're going to have to put in probably going to have to sacrifice some things or, you know, cut some things out, you know, whether it's some, you know, memberships, you know, Netflix, whatever, whatever you have to yeah. do to pay for your studio time. Maybe you have to be realistic that your network isn't big enough. You might have to go to a conference. You might have to meet some people. You might have to, you know, that's the realistic that I, that I talk about having. That is that's, awesome. that's the realism. It's like, be realistic about what it's going to take. And then now you have the information and you can make that decision to say, Ooh, do I want to do that or not? Um, we're starting to kind of go down the career path and everything. How about how long were you doing that? And then what kind of, what happened in that where you're just like, okay, maybe I do want to kind of uh, investigate this music thing again. Yeah. So it was probably like two, probably two years into like, um, you know, like my full-time like sure. adult career. I, I was probably listening to some sort of like side hustle nation or like smart <laughs> passive income or some, you know, podcast like that maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, like, you know, it like occurs to me, like uh, I, I thought it would be like, oh, I could start doing stock photography. Like I enjoy like taking photos and like, I, I was like, I had a nice, uh, not a nice camera, but I had like a digital camera, you know? Right. And I'm like, I'm in DC. I can like find like cool things to like take photos of and sell them and like as I like was uploading I'm like I'm probably not that good of a photographer but I'm also on these sites and they'd be like like Envato for example um yep. you know or Pond5 they have like music yep. video photos and I'm like wait a minute I, yeah. I I actually do do one of those things yeah okay um and so then I spent about six months to a year getting my songs rejected as I was <laughs> applying of course. Of course. to have them <laughs> uploaded learning the process taking yep. some courses you know watching youtube videos learning wait 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 wait. wait. i'm sorry yep. i'm sorry let me back up and back up say that one part again you took what uh courses you online took, you took courses yeah you took courses i love that because one of the things that i that, that i that i'm so big on is for artists understanding that there are other people out there who have done things they have invested the money They've invested the time. They've invested the sweat, the blood, the tears, the crying, everything. And then what they turn around and do is they will create a course to help you avoid all the things that they went through. So this is why, so for you artists out there, sorry, I'm, I'm going to let you get back to it, Evan. But this is one of the reasons why you all, I am so big. And that's why I promote even other people's courses. Because if there's something that you want to do, the easiest and fastest way to get there is to find someone else who's done it and model them. Don't copy model their success and if people are giving you that information then take it take it and run with it so thank you for saying that I didn't even know you were going to say that but thank you for for saying that that you because I I myself I've spent 
thousands yeah. of dollars and thousands of hours on courses learning. And yes. that, yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, sorry, continue. No, continue. that's, I mean, I want to, I, that's my exact theory. Like, so you, so you're now looking at these sites that have photo, video, music, all stuff. You say, Hey, I can do that. Then, then kind of what happens? What, what do you do that changes so that you can now start getting accepted? Yeah. I, I mean, from, for me, my biggest, my two biggest strong weaknesses were just the quality of my recordings, okay. which is uh, both, you know, sound selection and then understanding how mixing works and mastering works. Um, and then also not like I could write good music, but I couldn't necessarily tailor it to the quote unquote uh, style of yep. the stylistic requirements of stock music. So I kind of focused on both of those sides. Um, got my first song accepted and probably got within like a month or two of that, uh, got a sale of it, okay. like, which probably feels better than just about any yep. sale I've gotten where just like, I remember like the first time I'm like, wait, somebody is willing to spend like $40 for a license of this song. That is mm -hmm. like, it shocked me yeah. like in the best way possible. Right. Um, so from then I just got really fired up and probably, wrote and recorded a couple hundred songs over wow. the course of like two years, maybe one day, like we were watching TV, my fiance and I, and like, I'm in the other room, you know, I don't know, like making some popcorn or I don't know, refilling my beverage. And like, I hear this song come on and I'm like, Hey, did you just put on my like track accidentally? And she's like, no, it's just the TV. And they were using one of my songs as like, the background for like the Comcast, um, like video on demand screen, which was like, I'm like, what? That was the first time I'd ever heard my songs out in wow. the wild. And it was really cool. It did not pay anything apparently, but it was really <laughs> hey, Thanks cool. Comcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess it's not technically a broadcast. So yeah. um, there were no back end performance royalties, but, but since then, my songs have uh, made it out into the wild and been placed in all sorts of fun things. And, uh, but that, like, that was another really, that was like one of those moments where it's like, all right, yeah. I can commit even further to this. Yeah. And what I've often found is just like the moment when it feels like maybe I've squeezed all the juice from this. I can mm -hmm. something big like that happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like a whole nother, like I've leveled up and there's a whole other yeah. now stage and world. Absolutely. That's awesome. First of all, I mean, like, and to have those, those wins. So what you do, you create stock music and just briefly explain like what stock music actually is. By and large, what most of the music you're hearing on TV or on the radio or on YouTube or on podcasts is what is called stock music. And essentially uh, what composers do is they write and record this music put it into a library, not for any particular purpose. And then a buyer can license that music for a single use usually um, and use that in their production. But then you can license that song again to a different buyer and a different buyer. So the same song can be licensed many times. Mm -hmm. And there are certain elements, if you were to actually listen to these songs, both how they're written and how they're produced that make them different from Art, I don't know if I want to quote unquote artistic tracks or commercial tracks. Um, it's not a massive shift, but there's certainly more, it's more, as much a shift in mindset 
the music is, you know, designed to blend in a little bit more in the background. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to have like searing leads or really busy parts. Um, often there's going to be a voiceover. So maybe as you choose your arrangements, you're not going to choose sounds that would be as likely to compete with human vocals, or maybe you're going to bring the hi hats down in the mix a little bit because that would be a frequency that, you know, could be in the way sure. of voices. Sure. You also maybe want dramatic moments that an editor could use, you know, like how, if you, I mean, anytime you watch TV, we're like, right as you break to commercial. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you, you started actually getting some pretty big placements that, I mean, I, I see here, it says uh, Real Housewives, mm -hmm. uh, Netflix, stuff like that. So how did those, how did you start to kind of get to your music being placed in some of these bigger projects? So some of it is pure, pure luck. I mean, yeah. a, a making my own, making my own luck, I guess would yeah. be part yeah. of it. So about half of like, one thing to explain is there's basically two, maybe three tiers of libraries out there. There's sort of what is called the non-exclusive library, okay. which is the cheapest. Um, it's also usually they're the easiest to get into as a composer. Uh, Pond 5 is the one that I would recommend most as a composer. Okay. Um, it's where I've had most of my, uh, at least in terms of just over time, most of my success. And so sometimes, like some of these songs were just up on Pond 5. Somebody needed it for a TV show, and I guess they couldn't find it elsewhere. They mm. bought it and have placed it there. Then on a higher tier, you have more what are called exclusive libraries, sometimes called boutique libraries. Um, and they are much more challenging to get your music into. Sometimes okay. you just have to submit unsolicited demos. Sometimes they'll have a specific kind of, I don't want to say cattle call, but, you know, call for like, hey, anybody that has this type of music, submit it. Okay. And then once you start working with them, you can develop a relationship from there. Um, and so like the Real Housewife placement was through an exclusive library I work with. Um, another show called like Marriage Boot Camp was through that. Um, the, Net the Netflix one, though, was through Pond5. Um, so it's, it's, and actually my most lucrative placement to date, uh, has earned me about 2,600 bucks and it's just from, I don't know what it's from. It's from somebody is using my song on TV in Romania and like every few quarters I get a few hundred dollars from it. And I, I have no idea what it is because there's like this, the farther away you get from the U S the less information you get. on your <laughs> And so it just says like Romania TV, you know, three hundred dollars. Yeah. Like, you're like on a wow. Romanian soap opera. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But but it also goes to show you the the um, the ability for your music to go global. And another thing that I, I love about you know what there's a couple things I love about what you're doing. One is that um, you can actually make money doing it. If we're trying to actually build a career and, and, and invest back into our music business, we need to generate revenue. And that's that's not a bad thing. Let me just say that, you know, it's, any business has to make money. But also just the, 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 the fact that you can, you can license something that can be used by multiple people in any place in the world. So your stuff is being licensed here in the States, but also you're getting checks from Romania that you're like, I don't even know what's going on over there. So you can be generating revenue, you know, like an octopus, you know, a little bit over here, you know, and, and from the same track, you know what I mean? Like it's, you're, you're the one track could be licensed, but then if you have multiple tracks, you have even more opportunities to be licensed. 
Right. It's actually, it's actually almost a, I don't want to say it's passive income because that gets a lot of, you know, right. Bad rap. And also I make a lot of music, so it's not yeah. like I'm just sitting around, right. but like this, let's just take this track from that's been placed in Romania. Mm-hmm. I probably sold that specific license. I have to guess you don't have any of the specific information, but just because I haven't sold it in a while. And from when I first saw the royalties, I probably sold that four years ago. Wow. and made like 10 to $15 just from selling the license. That okay. was my ultimate cut. Now I've sold that license to a bunch of other users as well and made, you know, probably four or $500 off of selling the license portion of that revenue stream. Yeah. And even tomorrow, somebody could go buy it. But then there's, so that's the first passive income stream is the license gets sold. But then if somebody takes that song mm-hmm. and broadcasts it mm-hmm. publicly, which is a definition that's defined differently in different countries and everything. But you are entitled to a second royalty called a performance royalty. Mm -hmm. And so like people that are, especially the TV shows that are buying your songs, like they generally have an incentive to like rebroadcast their Mm -hmm. songs or sometimes they get streamed on like Netflix Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, on a show that goes into syndication, on a show that goes into syndication. And every time that show is played, you get a royalty Often it's just a couple of dollars, you know, but that's like, they stack up and stack up and stack up. And Um, it's a couple of dollars that you didn't have before. Yep. And then you didn't have to do any additional (laughs) work. Additional work. Additional work. Yep. Yep. Which is why there isn't work up front. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why, yeah, I think licensing is is so fascinating and it's something that I'm interested in um, as well. And so now you, you, you are, you're teaching people how to do this. You're not just kind of, you know, doing this yourself. You're, you're saying, Hey, I've done this. I want to help other artists do this. And so um, what is the, the, the name of your course? The, the beginner course is called, I believe the stock music licensing system. So it is basically intended to take all the mystery out of getting started. Basically maybe your first two years of music licensing, every lesson that you will learn from how to write to how to record to what to write to how to do it all efficiently. Because like I said, I made hundreds of songs, but I did it partly by being efficient and smart by, you know, doing all the mixing in one day or doing all the uploads in another day, just a lot of shortcuts so that you can make more music and hopefully more money in less time. Also um, for a lot of these, like I said, you have to have to also wear like the business hat. And so it sort of has ideas about how you price it or how you uh, you have to use the, you have to basically fill out metadata for the songs, which are mm-hmm. the keywords that people would use to find it, how to write a song title that might work well in search. And so basically this gets you about two years of experience right out of the gate. From there, you still have to make the music, yep. but yep. like you don't have to figure out what to make or what you're doing wrong, hopefully. From your perspective, who would this course be good for? You're going to learn about mixing and mastering and sound choice for stock music. But if you are not comfortable in a DAW, if it maybe if you had to have the term DAW explained to you, um, it might not be for you because at the end of the day, I, I've worked with some people that want to hire producers to record the music they make, but you don't know which ones of your songs are going to sell. Some yeah. of my songs that I consider are my best songs have never sold. And some of my songs that I genuinely think are my worst songs have made the most money. Mm-hmm. And there, there aren't margins to hire somebody to do the production. So sure. Sure. Um, I think that's the first thing you have to be 
you do not have to be a Grammy award-winning producer, like, uh, or even very good. Like some of my early stuff is not good and it has sold and even been placed on TV. Um, the second, I think person that it is not a good fit for is somebody that is more interested in being an artist is more interested in having their face out there. Okay. Um, the big point of stock music is you're basically what you have to do is you have to kind of realize that you're not the artist or the, you're not the front line artist. Mm -hmm. It's like you're in the backing band, somebody, the videographer is making it. They're the hero of this story yep. and you're providing the music and the vibe that's going to help them achieve their goals and their dreams, not, and in doing so you help achieve your goals and your dreams, right. but it's not like all eyes on me. I'm the star here. And that can be, that can be really hard. Even, I mean, I For struggle sure. with like, oh, this would be an awesome melody here. Like, I love it. But you know what? That's going to get in the way of somebody else telling their story. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you kind of have some like free things that people can kind of look at it. Is, is, there, is there an opportunity for people to kind of get familiar with it first, like by taking that kind of a Yeah, I, I have tons of articles and YouTube videos. Okay. I'm available at stockmusicmusician.com, both what you would need to learn to get your production skills up to the level that, you know, it might, that might get you there or even make it so that your production skills are really good. Okay. Um, your songwriting skills, what to write, the basics of the business, good libraries to try and apply to if you think, you know, you can figure it out on your own or if, you know, you, if that's the path you want to take. Um, like, I'm not trying to hide the ball here from anybody right, or anything right. like that. Um, I hope everybody that wants to do this is successful. Um, you know, Absolutely. but I think there's definitely something to be said for taking the fastest path because burnout is a very real thing uh, yeah. with music licensing. Um, and I think, like I said, you get these wins, which kind of pull you through, but if you spend it too long in that first process, sure. you might give up before you get that first little win yep. that then gets you to the next win. And so I think by like just cutting out all the unnecessary stuff and having a structured system that helps you focus on the big wins, it just can accelerate that process Absolutely. and enhance your chances of success. We'll drop some links uh, in the show notes in the description. So if you if anyone wants to check out any of this, you even just want to get your feet wet, learn a little bit about it, see kind of um, if this might be something that would be a, a good avenue, especially for some of you, maybe like producers, DJs, you know, people who, you know, can, you know, like you said, kind of have maybe some understanding of, of some of these systems already and can and can really dive into this. 100% agree. Yeah. And, you know, what I've found as a, as a musician is like not every song I write is good for stock but right. i'm sure for a lot of these beat makers you know not every song is good for an artist yeah. you like get 70 percent of the way there and you're like you know this isn't quite hitting right sure but doesn't mean the song is bad in and of itself you might be Absolutely. able to repurpose it for yep. stock with a little bit of yep just a few minor tweaks and some whooshes and you're there yeah, exactly exactly the next thing you know you're on tv in romania <laughs> <laughs> like i'm falling globally <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, um, yeah, so the, the website is stockmusicmusician.com. Is that correct? Yes. Like I said, we'll drop that link in the show notes. And so, like I mentioned earlier, kind of the short tag of the, of the uh, podcast and everything is um, there are no secrets to success, just things you haven't learned yet. I don't believe that there's a secret to success. I don't believe there's a magic bullet. What I would like for you to do, if you wouldn't mind, is to share uh, one secret to success for anyone out there listening. What's that one piece of advice or insight that you would give to an artist? I think 
if you're serious about doing stock, I think probably the biggest secret I could say is that it's a numbers game that you have to make a lot of music, not only because you need it to sell because you have no idea what's going to sell, like I said, but also because you get better every time you do it. And because there are like, you're basically trying to solve somebody's problem, but you don't get a chance to ever talk to them and Mm -hmm. see what their problem is. And everybody's problem is a little bit different and requires a little bit of a different solution. So the more music you have out there, the more you can help them out. And so the way you get better at being faster is, you know, through using templates, through uh, Mm. having a good idea of what your song structures look like by building your own presets or creating, you know, sample libraries where you've tagged all your favorite kicks um, by batch uploading. And so, and by not like, not obsessing, I think over the, like knowing what really moves the dial is is a huge part. The 80-20 principle is some people Mm -hmm. Call it like, mm-hmm. does it matter if you boost the EQ on the snare by 3 dB or 4 dB? I promise you it doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. So don't obsess over it. Get in the range, move to the next thing, focus on the vibe of your song and, you know, the artistic expression and get that out there. Right. Share and this, it with the world. That's awesome. And this is what you teach. These yes. are the things that you, you help people identify and figure out and work through. Is that right? That's correct. So all of those years, all of that rejection, all of those, you know, all of that, that input, all those hours put in, in, into doing this, that's what you're now taking and showing other people how to do so that they can start to make a living with stock music as well. Yes. That's awesome. Before you go, Evan, I have uh, just one other thing. This is called a lightning round. I'm basically just going to ask you three more questions real quick. Just whatever comes to your mind. Just, just go ahead and respond that way. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, cool. What was the first show, live show you ever went to? Billy Joel and Elton John. Billy Joel and Elton John. That is yeah. awesome. What a classic show. It was, it was definitely a classic show. Oh, man. That's awesome. Peak and, Disney. Right. Exactly. And uh, what was the most memorable show you ever went to? It could be the same one. It could be a different one. Yeah, oh, no, definitely. Uh, the Probably the most memorable show I ever went to was seeing cut copy at the 930 club in dc in probably 2009 or early 2010 um they were just i mean it was one of those shows where they have a ton of energy their fan base had a ton of energy and they probably should have been playing at a bigger venue but like they booked it just as they were like on the way up so everybody that was there was just so hyped to be there and then uh lastly if you could go see any artist dead or alive anybody you can put two people together, artists together, you, they can co-headline wherever. Who would you go see and where would you go see them? Um, well, I've never been to Red Rocks. It's my bucket list venue. You got to come out to Colorado, man. I, I really to want to. Um, and probably the artist that I think would just blow me away the most, Herbie Hancock, uh, like Headhunters, just melting some veins and faces at Red yeah. Rocks. I think okay. uh, I think that would probably be like, as I imagine, at least a really yeah. cool experience. Uh, Evan, where can people find you otherwise outside of your website? Where, if you, all the other stuff that you're doing and socials and all that, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah. Yeah. So the other main place I'm active is on YouTube. Uh, just search for Stock Music Musician. I've got videos on all sorts of things from music licensing to production to using the Reason DAW. Um, and 
drop me a line. I answer every question I get. If you want to shoot me an email, um, that's probably the best way to reach me. Uh, Stockmusician at gmail.com. Um, I'm not always fast, but I do get back. Uh, and I really just wanted to thank you so much, Jamal. This has been so fun. Uh, and I hope everybody learned uh, at least a little something uh, and had, had fun, as much fun as I did today. And I'm thankful for people like you who are willing to come on and not only share what you're doing, but share your story too. Because that's one of the, the big reasons um, for me in having these interview sessions is I just, want, I just want people to be exposed to other humans out there who are journeying and working their way through this thing just like they are. So thank you, man. This was awesome. Good. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for, for being willing to come on and everything. Hopefully I'll have you on the show again soon sometime. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow the Indie Musician Secrets podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and make sure to leave us a rating and review. Also, share this episode with other indie musicians you think it would be beneficial for. And for more helpful resources to help you grow your music business, visit us at businessmindedmusicians.com. I hope this episode has served you. We'll talk to you on the next episode.